Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> um, thanks, Owen, for that Bible reading. Do you know uh, what, out, what stands out in that passage? You all know what stands out in that passage. Of course you do. It's not a trick question. What stands out in that passage is that Jesus walked on water. That is, that is amazing. That is amazing. It's so amazing that it actually begs the question, has Mark taken it one step too far? You know, Mark opens up his gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, uh, this is the good news. It's about Jesus, who is the Son of God and the Messiah. That's, if you like, that's Mark's thesis that he's going to then go on to prove. If you can read his account and believe what he has to say, he wants you to, to agree that, I, that your thesis is right. This is the good news, which is about Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And he tracks all the things that Jesus does and says, the miracles, the teaching, the raising up of the 12 disciples, the sending them out, uh, more miracles, etc., et so that we, could, we can turn to Jesus and say, yes, I agree with your thesis. But you get to this one where Jesus walks on water and you might, you know, if you're sitting around a campfire listening to Mark retell stories, and you say, oh, then Jesus raised a girl from the dead and Jesus healed a woman who'd been sick for 12 years and Jesus healed a man who's... And was shriveled up like that. And Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he walked on water. You go, no, come on. Like, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? Is this, uh, is this a tall story that's just gone one step too far? Or is this actually the ultimate story of Mark to say, do you actually see who Jesus is? Do you see how incredible he is? Now, the... The, to say that someone thinks they can walk on water is a bit of a euphemism, isn't it? It's a, um, a modern phrase. We say, oh, that guy thinks he's so good, he thinks he can walk on water. It's a good phrase because it means like you're as good, you're as, good as God incarnate. Has, is this actually something uh, that Mark hits the pinnacle of his, of his miracles and says, look, even Jesus can walk on water? Well, not only that, not only do we see Jesus walk on water, but we get, we get this contrast in Mark 6, 45 to 56, of Jesus, how he does life, compared to the disciples and how they do life. And this is our, this is our comparison here. If you've got your sermon outline, you'll see there's only three points to get through. There's easy Jesus, hard disciples, and uh, uh, needy and needed. Uh, and so I want to go through the passage, not strictly chronologically, um, but over these, these three themes, the first one is easy Jesus. I want to just, just look for a second at, uh, at easy Jesus. How easy does he do things? I've got three things to draw out on, on what Jesus does really easily. Number one is his relationship with God comes easy to him. He goes up on a mountainside and he prays. Uh, what was he praying about? Uh, we're not told. We can take guesses. We can, have, we can infer some things. And I th- in fact, I probably will infer some things later on in the talk. But he goes up on the mountainside to pray. But look at what he does. He prays all night. Uh, he, sends the, he sends the disciples off in a boat over, over the lake. He, sends the, he dismisses the crowd. And he goes up on the mountainside to pray. And he's there uh, at night. And it's, it, it, we're told that it was just before... Uh, um, while it was still later that night, he, he sees the, the boat in the middle of the lake. That's in verse 47. And it's not until shortly before dawn 
that he goes out to speak to them. He's praying for hours. Now, I don't mind confessing. I've confessed to 9.30 church and 5, 5 o'clock church, and I don't mind just sharing with you tonight that when I pray, I find it, I find it awfully difficult to concentrate and be zoned in on praying to God. I'm not saying, like, don't. I, try, I work really hard at it. And nod your head if you have a similar experience to me that you find yourself just distracted and your mind wanders off onto other things and you remember that there was a, something you wanted to buy on Amazon that was in the shopping cart but you forgot to click it. Or there's a dishwasher that needs unpacking. Or, there's a, or you forgot to have a coffee today. Maybe you should go and do that now because it would help you to focus on your prayer better. Yeah, but, you, but Jesus, here's my point, Jesus... It seems in such a brief amount of time, a brief couple of sentences, Mark is able to help us to see that Jesus' prayer life is easy. Jesus' relationship with God the Father is easy. Uh, it's, it's fluent. He, he goes up and prays all night. Um, he even prays and stays on the mountainside praying when he looks out the lake and sees his friends struggling in a boat. He doesn't see them struggling and, and then whack on his uh, red cape and fly out to rescue them. He sees them struggle and he continues in his prayer. Uh, at that point, perhaps he's praying for them. That's not, not necessarily important, but he, he doesn't get distracted by something immediately that he has to go out and fix. He's just in prayer and he spends this time with uh, God. I want to just notice in this passage how easy it is for Jesus to just dismiss people, send people on their way, and go and spend some time with God. How awesome is Jesus? The second thing that Jesus demonstrates comes easy to him is the elements, uh, creation. So clearly the thing I'm talking about is that Jesus walks on water, and it just happens. Mark doesn't even go flowery about describing how the water reacted to his feet and whether he sank a little bit or not at all and did he float above the water or what did it look like. No, no great details, just Mark just says, oh, and then he walked on water. That's it. That's it. Just, just deal with it. He walked on water with ease. Uh, in fact, not only did he walk on water, but the disciples who were in a water vessel had been struggling for a good half the night and when Jesus, dis- so they, Jesus gave them a couple of hours head start. And then when he decides to walk on water, he catches up with them in no time and even is about to go p- past them. Uh, Jesus is just the king of creation. And then when he hops in the boat, as you look at the story, uh, the wind just immediately calms down. We don't hear that he tells the wind to stop like he did back in chapter 4. He just gets in the boat and the waves die down and everything's fine. There's something about Jesus that's different uh, to you and I. He, the elements in this world are easy to him. He's not subject to the things of this world. In fact, this world is subject to him. Who knows whether the water became a little bit more dense or whether he became a little less, his mass was lowered, the science behind it, don't know. But he, he walked on water. And it's incredible. Um, He calmed the wind. That itself is incredible. And he does it so easily. The third thing is uh, is about Jesus' care and dealing with people. There's a few things in this passage that just show us how easy Jesus um, can handle people. 
Um, you know, in verse, very early in that passage, uh, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. So he was, he bossed his disciples around. That's not a miracle. Uh, while, while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, just that sounds really nothing of a sentence, while he dismissed the crowd. But just remi- remember what we've been hearing in Mark's gospel for the last couple of weeks. Jesus sent the disciples out on mission. They came back from their mission and reported to Jesus all they'd said and done. And Jesus says, that's amazing. And then Jesus said to them, let's have a holiday. Let's take some rest. And so they, they, they excuse themselves, but, they, but the crowds just keep coming. And so much so that they, that they, that they couldn't find some uh, food to eat. They, they, dis, they, they disappeared, but the crowds keep coming. And Jesus looked at the crowd and said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus... Um, taught them. Now this is, I'm just repeating last week's sermon, but Jesus taught them and then then the disciples said that everyone's hungry, you better send them home Jesus, but Jesus says, no, let's, you feed them. And so they fed them and there was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Let me just recap what, what I'm doing here is that they had decided that they would take rest, but the crowd seemed to be an obstacle to their rest. Now we get to this point when it seems like Jesus is done showing the crowd and specifically the disciples that he can feed a crowd with, with, uh, with uh, just a bit of bread. He's finished with that demonstration. And now he says to the disciples, you get in the bait and go that way. And he says, that, and then he dismisses the crowd. It doesn't seem like a very big, amazing thing that he did. But for something that has been a, trouble, a, a problem in Mark's gospel until now is suddenly no longer a problem. Jesus is not actually subject to, to uh, in submission to the crowd or what the crowd needs. He's not at the beck and call of the crowd. In fact, when Jesus wants the crowd to go, he dismisses them. And there's, it's easy. It just comes easy. He calms the disciples when he crosses the, the lake and he gets close to them and they, they get terrified of him. I'll come back to that uh, some details about that in a minute when I talk about the disciples. But when Jesus comes to them and they freak out, Um, Rather than keep on going, Jesus stops in his plans and he turns to the disciples and he says to them, don't be terrified, it's okay, calm down, it's I, and he hops in the boat. He calms the disciples. His plan was not to get in the boat. But when he saw the terror in the disciples, he stopped, changed his plans and hops in the boat. Jesus uh, calmed the disciples down, allowing them uh, to... um, Allowing them, watching them on the lake struggle, allowing them to struggle while he prayed doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Uh, because when it was time for him to come across the lake, when he got to them, saw them in t- terrified, he stops and says, it's, it's fine, it's me, calm down. And finally, Jesus and people, um, when he gets to the other side, other people recognise him, crowds recognise him, they come from all over the place and they bring all their problems to Jesus and Jesus cares for them. He heals them. He gives them what they need. So just recapping this first point, easy Jesus. His relationship with God is something that we should envy and be, be, uh, be jealous of, that he can spend just natural time in prayer. Uh, the way that Jesus interacts with creation is to dominate it and, and that creation is in submission, complete submission to him without him even breaking a sweat. And thirdly, when it comes to people, Jesus cares and is good at it. He's good at it. Everything he does actually just comes across 
really easy. If you like God, the world, and people, easy Jesus. Jesus, well, he wasn't just walking or, or sailing across the lake. He was soaring across the lake, um, showing us how, to, how, to, how life is done well when you are God incarnate. You know, Let's contrast easy Jesus with hard disciples. Jesus um, sent them in a boat across the lake, and we're told the massive contrast. You can just picture it. There's Jesus sitting at peace with God the Father on a mountainside, praying. Um, calm, collected, what he chose to do, what he wants to do. That's where he is, is right now. The disciples, in contrast, are in the middle of the lake, just straining their working up a sweat in the middle of the night. And it seems like they're going nowhere, stuck in the middle rowing this way, the wind's blowing them back that way, and they're going nowhere. They're hard at work. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. They're humans, and they're struggling at the waves, and Jesus had told them to get in the boat and go across the other side. So I'm not criticising them, but the contrast to me is striking. But when, they, when Jesus then um, shuts down his time of prayer, comes across the lake, we're told that he was about to go by them, and we're told that the disciples didn't recognise him. When he gets to the other side, we're told that the crowds, the many crowds, recognise him. And so they go from everywhere to find him. But when Jesus walks by these 12 men who he spends a lot of intimate close-up time with, they fail to recognise him. They're hard at seeing. They're hard at work and they're hard at seeing. There's a couple of things here that I think I have found interesting and and. Thankfully, were pointed out to me just uh, later in this week. But when Jesus uh, passes by the disciples, there's, there could be a link to the Old Testament there in Exodus chapter 33. When Moses, the leader of Israel, is given this special permission to just get a glimpse of God's glory as, as, um, as God will pass by Moses and just display for him just a glimmer of God's glory. Now we have Jesus, that same language, passing by the disciples. But this one, it's not showing the disciples just a glimmer of his glory. It's showing this man walking on water in, in broad, I was going to say broad daylight, in the, just before dawn. <laughs> as, the dawn is, as the sun is rising, there is Jesus walking on water, passing by them. displaying his glory right in front of them. And then they freak out. They think he's a ghost. Their mind goes straight to myths and legends. It doesn't go to logic and understanding and consideration. It goes to what their great-great-uncle might have taught them. Um, In other parts of the world, they might have have thought there was a UFO or something like that. But they've, they've had a sighting, and rather than recognize Jesus... They presume that he's a ghost. They go off to some conspiracy rather than land on the truth. Jesus immediately spoke to them uh, and says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The second little link here, which is really worth noticing, is this this phrase, it is I. In verse 51, can you see it? Jesus says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It's really helpful that the translators have translated from the Greek to English, and use that phrase, it is I. It makes perfect, perfect sense that they do that. In context, that's probably what it would have sounded like. 
But in that original language, it literally says, I am. And that's fascinating, isn't it? In other parts of the Gospels, you might go to John's Gospel and you see a few moments where Jesus um, answers a question with the answer, I am, and we celebrate that, yes, Jesus is, is linking himself with the God who met with Moses um, on the mountain at the burning bush. Now, that was our Old Testament reading tonight, Exodus chapter 3, where Moses said to God, who should I say has sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And here we have uh, another, another little clue, maybe, that Jesus is saying, uh, not just it is I, but I am. Whether that's a link or not, definitely Jesus, I think, is coming to the disciples and, and, and wanting them to see him truly. But their heart is seeing, and we're told why their heart is seeing, it's because their hearts are hard. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Um, just before I move on to the next point, I want to draw out another link because you guys are really smart. So I'm going to just draw out one more link. Um, when Jesus, earlier on in chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, when Jesus had just finished teaching a crowd and Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over the other side. Right? So Jesus said, here's my idea, let's go over to the other side of the lake. We're immediately told in Mark chapter 4 that the disciples took Jesus just as he is with them in the boat. Uh, it could be overlooked, but I think there's a, re I think there's a, a theme that starts here in Mark 4 and, and, is, and has, is finding a link here in Mark chapter 6 because when they got in the boat and travelled over, a big storm brewed up. They were scared for their lives. They woke up Jesus who was sleeping at the back of the boat. They woke him up and they said, don't you care? Jesus, rather than rebuking them, he got up and rebuked the thing that they were afraid of. He said to the, to the storm, um, be quiet, be still, and the, and the elements, creation, listened and obeyed. And the disciples then asked this question, who is this man? Who is this man? And then Mark proceeds to give us reason after reason after reason why the disciples should be seeing that Jesus is the, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, um, and that the, when he says the kingdom of God has come, he's actually talking about himself. That was an episode on the lake in a storm. Now we have a, a second episode on the lake in a, in a, in a milder storm where uh, Jesus has come to them and said, it is I, and they respond with, uh, with amazement. They're amazed, uh, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They just come away from, a, uh, from experiencing Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 with just a few loaves. They didn't understand that right there and then Jesus is telling them that I can, I can feed a crowd with, with food. Do you remember the manna in the desert? Do you remember you know, all the things in the Old Testament? I am better than all the prophets. You need to see who I am. But their hearts were hardened. Here's a test. I've tested 9.30 church. I've tested 5 o'clock church. Let's see if you are better than all, all, all those other guys. Who is? This is a trivia question, Bible trivia question. Who is the most famous person in the Bible for having a hard heart? The answer is... Oh, good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah, thank you. Good, good, good. Um, 
Their hearts were hardened. Do you remember Pharaoh's heart was hardened? And what had, what had, what had God been giving to Pharaoh? He'd been giving Pharaoh not one, two, three, four, or five signs and wonders, but ten signs that, he, that, that Moses is, is on the side of the eternal God and the God of gods is against Pharaoh. It could have only been one mighty act that could have crumb, uh, bent Pharaoh's knees to bow down and worship and, and, and admit that your God, Moses, is better than me. Ten signs result in still a hard heart in Pharaoh. The disciples have been given sign after sign after sign of who Jesus is and yet their hearts have stayed hard. The disciples are really paddling hard and they've missed the mark. Did you notice that Jesus said, go to the other side and I'll meet you at Bethsaida in verse 45? When they finally arrive, what do, where do they land? Gennesaret. Now, you can go home and Google it, but I can just tell you they're not the same place. They're not even close. Uh, they are two completely different um, corners of the uh, Lake of Galilee. They had head off across the lake in obedience to Jesus. They worked really hard, and when they got to the other side, they missed the goal. Um, I think that's a little metaphor that Mark gives us for where the disciples are at in their following of Jesus. Well, that gets us to the final point. The final point, which is uh, needy and needed. A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me this little phrase, needy and needed, um, and said to me that, Simon, everyone is needy and everyone is needed. It's a beautiful thing to tell yourself because everyone is needy. Everybody needs to be known and loved and cared for and feel safe and belong. That's what we all need. We're needy like that. And everyone is needed because we are part of a community and we, we do this together. Now, that's, that's a little... I'm just throwing a nugget out to you because how that relates to this, that's a nugget for you to just feel comforted that everyone here, all of you are needy and all of you are needed. But the reality in this passage that I see, the hard truth is that we are not needed by God. We are not needed by God. The disciples were not needed by Jesus. But Jesus was longing for them to see, to pass by them and be recognised that this is the Lord of all creation. Um, we all need Jesus. This one, this Jesus who is, who, where life is easy for him, his relationship with God is perfect. His control over creation is, it proves that he's the creator and his care for people is obvious in this passage. Don't you want to be a follower of Jesus who can show us the way to, to be united to God and, and at the end of all creation will heal us of all our sickness and disease and actually when he looks at us he doesn't see little um, cockroaches, he sees people, he sees sheep that need a shepherd. I want, that, I want that Jesus to follow. I need Jesus, and you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. But what I see also in this passage is the patience of Jesus while he's waiting for these 12 disciples to finally see him. This great, long, drawn-out patience that he's waiting for them. 
to have their eyes open. I, it would not surprise me that um, a great deal of the content of Jesus' prayer on that mountainside was directed to the disciples. As he looked at them struggling along the lake and spoke honestly with his Father in heaven about how long will it be before their eyes are open and they see and which, how many miracles do I need to perform? Maybe if I walked on water, that would change their hearts. But it gets out there and their hearts are hard. Friends, I'm going to end with these two questions. Um, the questions are for you all to hear, but only one of them applies to you. You've got to work out which is the question that applies to you. The first one is, when will you see him? When will you see Jesus for who he is? That's my first question. I don't know who I'm directing that question to. Um, have you seen Jesus? Do you know him to be the, the man who can walk on water? The man who can uh, open up the gates of heaven for you so that you can learn to pray uh, to God the Father like he does. Do you see that Jesus has paved the way that he has entered into creation, not in submission to it, but ruling over it? And do you know that he's come down because he cares for people? He cares for you. He cares for me. He doesn't need you, but he cares for you. He wants you in his, in his family. When, when will you see Jesus? Have you seen him yet? That's my first question. I don't know if that's the question you need to wrestle with. But here's the second question. If the first question wasn't yours, this one is. Who do you pray for that, is still, that still hasn't seen Jesus yet? Uh, Jesus was patiently waiting for the disciples for their eyes to be open and to see him for who he is. Who in your life are you praying for and being patient with? I want to encourage you to keep praying for that person or those people. Uh, you, might find, you might be thinking that their hearts are hard and they may never change. We've been told here that the disciples' hearts were hard. And what we know, we know that their hearts were softened eventually. Their eyes were open and they saw Jesus for who he is. And the risen Lord Jesus became their devotion for the rest of their lives, even to death. They're my two questions. Friends, have you seen Jesus yet? And are you praying for, for someone or some people in your life to see Jesus? Let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this outstanding image of Jesus walking on water. Lord, help us to sit up and pay attention to him and recognise who he ought to be in our life. Father, help us not to think too small of him. And I pray, Lord, that you'd please soften our hearts, take out our hearts of stone, replace them with hearts of flesh, that we might see Jesus, love Jesus, and soar through life with him. Lord, we pray for those um, friends and family members in our life who don't see Jesus yet. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be patient with them. Help us to be consistent in prayer. And Lord, help us uh, to, to learn from the patience that Jesus had for uh, the disciples. Lord, we need your help in this. Help us to speak to you in prayer, um, to be devoted to that, and to love you because you first loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going into song, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry that I...
this song, from this song we are going to go into communion. So we'll sing this song together. Um, I will uh, get the, the bread and the juice ready and then after this song we'll, we'll, um, we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper together. Let's stand and sing.